What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Space Talk. I'm your host, Athena Brensberger. Some of you might know me also as Astro Athens. You can call me your in-app astronomer here on Colin. So we have explored quite a few things when it comes to space exploration here on this podcast. Um, there's some things I want to start diving deeper in, uh, which has to do with different space agencies. Um, I know that that's not what today's t- episode is titled, but um, I've just been learning some things recently when it comes to the space industry, and I want to start exploring that a little bit more. So what I mean by that is diving into uh, federal-run agencies such as NASA, such as European Space Agency, and exploring then private space agencies such as SpaceX, Blue Origin, Uh, Virgin Galactic, and there are so many more out there. I want us to explore internationally as well because all of them play a very vital role to exploring space, to exploring other planets. If it weren't for all these other space agencies arising and even space companies, we wouldn't have the technology we have today. The phone that you have in your hand to listen to this episode wouldn't exist and we wouldn't be able to chat if we didn't have satellites in space producing Wi-Fi, producing a connection for us to have here on Earth. And so with all this stuff happening together, we wouldn't be able to achieve the technological advancement we have here on Earth. So I just want to sort of put that out there because that's a a big area I want to explore here on Space Talk. So if any of you have anything to say about that, feel free to chime in at any time. I have this episode open to the public, uh, open to callers, so I didn't make it limited. If you guys ever want to tap the call button, please do. You're not at all interrupting me. Um, So I just wanted to throw that out there. The other thing I wanted to jump into before we get into how stars are named, this is an ongoing series. I have quite a few of these here on Space Talk, and that's because there's just so much to explore. I figured that if we sort of break them up into chapters, it'll be a little bit easier to digest all this information that comes with the field of astronomy and space exploration. So as I mentioned before, that also includes rockets. Tomorrow's episode is going to be chatting about rockets and um, rocket launches, space exploration, all of the above. Uh, One more thing. Today's episode, you might be wondering where my guest is. We've postponed it to next week. Um, Something came up, so we have had to push that until next week. Um, But I thought, let's do do an episode anyway, because I've wanted to chat about the names of stars. So um, if you guys want to tune into that episode, it'll be the same time next Wednesday with Corey Powell. Uh, 3 p.m. Central Time, American science writer and journalist and podcaster. So it's going to be a really fun conversation. Also coming up in March, we have Dr. Charles Liu coming on, who was, I still consider him to be my mentor today. Um, Awesome, awesome cosmologist working on things deep in the universe, such as galaxy collisions, black hole mergers, uh, and also is still a professor at the College of Staten Island in New York. So he's going to be coming up as well as Dr. Kirby Runyon, planetary scientist, and just works on so many amazing missions like the New Horizon mission. Europa, uh, so many more things that are coming up as well. So they'll be coming on in March. So I'm really excited for that. But without further ado, let's jump into astronomy picture of the day. If you guys don't already know about APOD, I've mentioned it before. Um, 
apod.nasa.gov. Basically, every day for I think it's probably been since maybe the 1960s, they've put together um, different images taken of the night sky. I believe this was first in print form. So it was in magazines and newspapers. Now it's online. And um, I always love to sort of turn to that first, spend about five minutes chatting chatting it over. So if you guys have a computer in front of you, you can go to apod.nasa.gov. If not, I'm going to walk us through the image. It's a really beautiful picture here of the Orion Nebula, as well as you could see the Orion's belt. If any of you haven't caught this constellation yet, Orion, you definitely got to get out. It's a winter constellation. It's super prominent and visible in the night sky shortly after evening twilight. So that's usually about 45 minutes after sunset. It's right around the time stars begin to rise over your eastern sky. And the Orion constellation is very prominent because of the three main stars that sort of go in a row diagonally moving upward from left to right. And this constellation um, has quite a few interesting stars in it, such as Betelgeuse, which is a red supergiant star, which could be going supernova anytime soon. It's already reached the point of its uh, age where it may go supernova literally anywhere from tomorrow. It might have happened already and the light hasn't reached us yet um, to maybe sometime in the next couple thousand years. So it'd be really cool if that happens. It won't affect us on Earth, like physically, we'll be fine, but we will see it in the night sky. It should be about as luminous as the full moon. So that would be really cool to catch. So this image shows also um, Lambda Orionids. So that is, uh, I believe, the meteor shower. And then the Bird Green Bank Radio Telescope, as well as Barnard's Loop. So it's this really beautiful image of stars, which is why I got really excited that this was today's astronomy picture of the day, because we're talking about how stars get their names, as well as uh, you have a stretch of interstellar dust and gas, a huge gas cloud where a lot of newborn stars are forming. Orion's Nebula, uh, that's actually personally where I did my research uh, as an undergraduate at the Hayden Planetarium in New York. That is where there are newborn stars constantly forming. It's called a stellar nursery. And within these newborn stars are um, possibly early forms of a solar system. Some of them have what it takes at, at the size that they're at. So depending on how much mass they are, how big they are, they can attract nearby dust, literally just dust, dust and gas, to start to form a disk around it. And as it starts to form this disk, eventually things can start to become a little more dense in some regions versus others. And this is where, under the right conditions, a planet can form and eventually possibly a planetary system. And so looking at the Orion Nebula, which you can see with the unaided eye, so no telescope or binoculars needed, just a dark sky, you're looking at possibly tens of thousands of new solar systems being born, new potential for life beyond Earth. So it's one of my favorite things. Um, I would say explore the rest of this on your own if you wanted to look at this, because that's about how long I like to spend on astronomy picture of the day. So go check that out. And um, again, if you guys are looking at it and you want to hop on here and say hi and maybe point out something you think is really interesting or ask a question, feel free to. Otherwise, we're going to move into how stars are named. 
So I would ask a question, and we're going to use emojis to respond here. So bottom right of your screen are different emojis. Um, oh, awesome. We've just got a question, or we got a, we got a caller. All right. Hello, Kate. How are you? Hi, Athena. I hope I'm not too loud. I'm on the highway, but I was really excited about hearing about today's A-Pod. I haven't got a chance to look at it yet, but you reminded me of how cool, like, the potential of Betelgeuse going supernova within our life, our lifetime, and I think it's really cool, and, like, I hadn't, like, considered it. I have a, a large tattoo of the Orion constellation, and I'm thinking, if it does go supernova within my lifetime, what could I, like, on your, in your opinion, how could I alter my tattoo to reflect that? Oh my gosh. First of all, that's so awesome. That is super cool. I'd love to see what your tattoo looks like. Well, a friend of mine has the Orion like belt on her, her collarbone. So I'd love to see that. Um, I would say if it happens in our lifetime and you want to alter it, um, looking up images of what a supernova looks like, probably maybe before it goes supernova, then we'll actually have real images of the supernova. Explore how that might be able to um, I don't know how a tattoo artist can maybe like incorporate that into the tattoo. They do such great jobs of like styling it up and making it look really just like almost like a, 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 literally an art piece on our bodies. So I would explore that. I think that'd be super cool. Yeah. I'm just, I'm more like, how big would it be compared to the rest of the constellation? Like how large would it look in the sky? Um, you know, that's a really great question. I'm not exactly sure to scale how large it would look. Um, I'm sure it'll be, it's going to be significantly bigger than the, the star itself, the point, uh, just because that's all that dust and gas, everything that the star was made up of is, is put, pressing outward. So it's going to take up quite a lot of space, but on your, on your tattoo or on your body, I would say probably you'll want to adjust that anyway, because I think that's probably going to be, it's going to really outshine, I think, from my, from what I, believe like of what I've seen what what I what whenever I looked up what red supergiant stars will look like after they go supernova, it's gonna take it's gonna outshine a lot of the other stars. So it might not even like be that prominent like the other uh, other stars might not be that prominent compared to the supernova so i guess it's more so we'd have to like wait to sort of find out and see just like how large it'll look but it's gonna be pretty big. You know how like when the when the moon is full it's so bright you can see certain more, I guess, faint stars, considering where it is in relation to the Pleiades, which are already kind of faint, do you think that that kind of thing, that close in the sky would kind of outshine them? I mean, we wouldn't be able to see the Pleiades as, as much? Yeah, I mean, that's a great um, way to sort of think about it. The, the thing is, when it will go supernova, from everything I have read, like, the brightness of what I said, being brighter than the full moon itself, that's only going to last, I believe, for like one to two days, and then it'll start fading, that that the cloud is going to start to fade eventually. So, and yes, you are right, like, when we do see the full moon, like, there are certain stars that are fainter, we just can't see anymore. Um, and like, the Pleiades, certain star clusters might still be visible, uh, but... For the for for Orion, it's it's tough to see. I'm gonna look into that. I'll look it up and see if it's if it's even been estimated yet. Like just how large it is, and also maybe we can make this on like Universe Sandbox. I don't know if you've ever used that before. It's a great simulation software, and you can yeah, and you could simulate um, a supernova. You could just, like put in the mass of Betelgeuse and then show what it'll look like, and then you can do it from the perspective of of Earth. 
So we can look into that. That would be really fun. I might actually do that because I don't have an answer for you. Yeah, that'd be so cool. Yeah, I'll have to look that up. Is it something like is it something like down downloadable or was it like on online? I've downloaded it. Um, they might have an online version as well. I'm looking it up real quick. Um, I've always downloaded it. Let's see. Yeah, it looks like you'd have to. It's a software, so you'd have to just do it through there. Um, so I did. I did it through Steam. I don't know if you guys have ever used Steam, Steam Powered. It's like a it's a gaming um, software. I, that's really the only thing I've ever used on Steam. So like I probably am butchering how to explain Steam, but um, it's it, I've downloaded it on my Mac before, and that's that's how I've used it. Um, the only other thing I'd recommend if you don't want to download it, uh, NASA Eyes software. They have things that function just through like Google Chrome, um, and they have things like looking at um, different like missions and they might have a simulation for star explosions as well so um i'll double check that though and i'll i'll get back to you about that and we'll see yeah but awesome well thanks for calling in and sharing that i'll let you go i'm like hitting like bumps on a bridge right now i don't want to bother you anymore with the sound but thank you for for answering my questions that's really that's really helpful of course kate thanks for coming on drive safe Awesome. Yay. Well, that was super cool. So yeah, like I mentioned, guys, feel free to call in anytime. You're not at all interrupting. Um, and I, I'd love to ch- chat with all of you. I'm currently on the NASA Eyes website right now. Um, it's actually eyes, like eyeball, eyes.nasa.gov. If you guys wanted to see what they have on there, they have asteroids, solar system, Earth, planets, Mars 2020. It doesn't look like they have any type of star simulations but we'll explore that another time but if you guys know what the universe sandbox is and you've used it before you know what i'm talking about it's so much fun you can literally create your your own anything you can make your own um planetary system and create masses and see what happens when a black hole forms see what happens if the sun was replaced by a basketball i mean it's so much fun it's so super super cool so that is that Um, So jumping into how stars are named, which is what uh, today's episode is all about. Um, So I want us to use our emoticons at the bottom right. And I want to ask you guys if you've ever had someone name a star after you or if you've ever named a star after someone, you know, like where you go to a website, you pay like whatever they charge, maybe 20, 20 bucks, 40 bucks, 50 bucks, and you you know, have, have a star named after somebody. Let's just see if anyone has done that. Let's see in the, let's see if anyone is sending through any emoticons. Just curious there. Okay. No one. All right. Okay. Wait, we got one. We got one. Okay. The reason I ask that is because when that happens, that name is only recognized by that company. That name is only in their database. So it's basically like as if you and I went into like the backyard and I found a star and I said, you know, this star is going to be, I'm going to name it you. I'm going to name it. um, I'll I'll just grab someone's name from the chat. Joshua. I'm going to name that star Joshua. Then that's just basically you and me who agree that that's the name of the star. But you go to, you know, like you know, uh, France, or you go to your other friend's backyard and they're like, that star is not named Joshua. That star is named like, you know, Beetlejuice, for instance. It's a similar thing when you purchase a star name. It's not recognized by the scientific community. Uh, It's not recognized by the International Astronomical Union, the IAU, which we talk about a lot here on Space Talk. 
And so this is why it's, it's, it's just remember this and take it with a grain of salt. Um, it's still like, I, I get it that it's, it's super sweet. It might be exciting when you're a kid and you get that, you think, oh my gosh, there's a star named after me. But that I promise you that exact same star probably has tons of other names of other people who've also purchased a certificate through other companies. So if like there's probably a dozen companies out there who do the star names, it's not always recognized. So the question is, how do we get a star named after us and how do we get that, you know, a star recognized? Well, it's a little bit tricky today. Um, most of the stars, the bright ones like the name Beetlejuice or Capella, Rigel, Vega, Sirius, Arcturus, these are some of the main names of stars that we have probably all heard about if we do a little bit of stargazing. These were names that were given a long time ago. They have roots in Arabic. They have roots in Greek, ancient Greek and ancient Arabic. And so they were named by the original, um, not by the original discoverers, but some of the original discoverers. A lot of them have had similar names. Um, and so it wasn't named after the people. It was named after various things like uh, like gods or like stories or uh, protagonists that are in stories. And that's where a lot of the main names come from. But there's billions, literally billions and billions of stars. So how do they all get their names? Some of them in constellations will have the name of the constellation, but then they would be named in order of the Greek alphabet based on how bright they are to how dim they are. So Alpha, like Alpha Centauri in the Centauri, Centaurus constellation, Alpha Centauri, Beta, and then it continues down um, from the Greek alphabet. This is something also really kind of helpful to keep in mind. Like if we're looking for a meteor shower, the peak is usually for the Gemini meteor shower. It's in the Gemini constellation. And they might say, you know, look five to 10 degrees south of Alpha, Gemini Alpha. So you're going to want to look for the brightest star in the Gemini constellation and then look about 10 degrees south of that. So this is another way that a lot of stars are named. It's based on the constellation in which they reside. And then you get into the crazy catalog names. We've talked about catalogs before here on Space Talk, such as the Messier catalog, which was first created by the comet hunter, Charles Messier. We've done an episode before about him. If you want to jump to historical figures at another time, just scroll through our previous episodes. And um, each of these catalogs tend to have objects that are usually galaxies, star clusters, so really, really big objects, deep sky objects, um, and nebulae. Stars have their own alphanumeric designations. It usually uh, consists of some type of acronym and then plus uh, an index number or their celestial position, so depending on where exactly they're based in the sky. And this can sometimes be really long. I'm going to read an example to you. One of them is HR 7001, 7001. And then there's also J18365633 plus 3847012. So the first half of that is the location north-south. The other half of that is location east-west. And wherever it's positioned based on well, two different things. One, it's it's right ascension and declination. Um, and that, as I mentioned before, is based on if you're looking up and down vertically or left, right, horizontally. 
So wherever that telescope is pointing at the time, whenever that star was discovered, you want to make sure those coordinates match another telescope elsewhere that is also looking at that star because this is in respect to our planet as opposed to just our city. And then if that's what, what lines up, that's the star that we've found, it ends up just getting a catalog name that follows the previous star that was discovered. So it's nothing super fancy. Um, it's not really cool names like what we get today. But sometimes that can happen. There are some astronomers that are able to request so an astronomer who maybe discovers a star. When they submit that to the International Astronomical Union, it's ultimately up to them as an entity to decide on what the name will be other than the catalog name. The catalog name is unavoidable. This is just because you have to know what position it's in. Um, think about if you were in a classroom and everyone was assigned a desk number for the whole school year. That desk number is your desk. Whatever position it's in is where you're going to be for the whole year. Now, I don't, I don't think I've ever done that in school, but there might be schools that do that. That's kind of a way to think about it. I still have my name Athena, but I have desk number five in that position of the classroom. So that might be a little bit easier way to sort of understand how stars are are understood in position. I think what's going to get really interesting is whenever the day comes, if it comes, which I hope it does, where humanity comes in contact with an intelligent civilization, and I don't just mean microbes on Enceladus or another moon of Jupiter or Saturn, but like intelligent life, what are their names going to be? And how do we then decide what those names are going to be collectively? Do we keep our original names? It's probably then going to add another name on top of that. And so then one star can end up having about maybe three to four names. Because that's currently the case with galaxies and with, you know, if they're in several catalogs, each catalog, they'll have a different position, a different page number that they're on. Um, and so it corresponds to that. To give a little bit of a briefer, by the way, on the International Astronomical Union, uh, they were founded in 1919. The mission was to promote and safeguard the science of astronomy in all aspects through international cooperation. Its individual members, structured in divisions, commissions, and working groups, are professional astronomers from all over the world at the PhD level and beyond, and active in professional research and education in astronomy. So it's a really important thing to keep in mind. Um, you have astronomers that are currently actively doing research and are in the, the fields of education as well in, in astronomy. The IAU has over 12,000 individual members from more than 90 countries worldwide. 90 countries. So this, keep this in mind. This is something, if, if, you're, if we're exploring the night sky, if we're exploring space, we have to include as much of the human population as possible, as much of our planet as possible when it comes to deciding these things. And so to tie back to sort of my first statement on today's episode when I was talking about different space industries, sorry, different space agencies and companies, when we explore to another planet, when we reach another planet and we start to maybe like either terraform it, which is to make it more Earth-like, make it habitable, or start to build habitats, how is that going to reflect and represent all of humanity? So this is something that we have to keep in mind. And 
I think I might start to get a little bit into space policy here on this on this podcast as well. Um, maybe if any of you can think of or know of any uh, space policy like writers or space politicians or, or lawyers, anyone in that field, um, let me know because I will definitely explore that. I'm going to follow up with anyone that I met while I was on Capitol Hill um, for the NASA bill. Uh, I, was, I was volunteering. If any of you are ever interested in doing that, it was with the Planetary Society and they take a group of volunteers um, every uh, change of administrations, every four years to discuss the NASA bill. The previous administration, how much the NASA bill was in what areas, and then for the upcoming fiscal year, how much um, budget increase there should be or like what you think it has affected you personally. If maybe you're a student or maybe you're doing research in one field, you get to chat with different senators and House representatives about why you think it's important. And so with that being said, this is, I think, a really great way to sort of represent Everyone out there that's that's interested in this, that has an opinion about this, because this is all of humanity exploring what else is beyond Earth. And that's like, I think, a really, really big deal. Um, so that being said, uh, there was a couple more things I wanted to mention. Uh, a way to, to do this. So instead of leaving this up to the IAU to sort of decide all the names, with exoplanet hunting happening today, which includes looking for planets beyond our own solar system. An exoplanet is a planet. It's just a planet. It's just a planet that's not in our solar system. So it's not Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune. Uh, and then we'll talk about the dwarf planets like Pluto. It's not. It's, it's, it's its own system orbiting a different star that's not our sun. And so most of the discovery of stars today if they are part of an exoplanetary system, so if they have planets orbiting it, the name is going to be based on what that system is. So think about TRAPPIST-1. I don't know if anyone has ever, if you remember when TRAPPIST-1 was announced. Um, this was, I think, in 2017, I believe. I wish I could remember the year. It was, it was quite a few years ago. And it was a really big deal because it was seven planets, Earth-like planets, three of them in the habitable zone around the star and, um, you know, possibility for an atmosphere and life. Nothing has been found yet. But that star is has the name TRAPPIST-1 and the whole system is the TRAPPIST-1 system. And each planet is TRAPPIST-A, TRAPPIST-B, TRAPPIST-C, etc. It makes it a little bit easier just to sort of like be able to not only catalog these names, but when, when we talk about it to each other, like this podcast episode or the news or whatever it is, uh, it just makes it a little bit more streamlined. And so with that being said, the IAU said, how about we don't have total control over this and name everything ourselves? How about we turn it to the general public and hold a contest? They ran a contest called Name Exo Worlds. It started in 2019 and it generated names from 112 participating countries who submitted names um, that were like the names were things like mountains and rivers and writers and artists and significant fictional or mythological creatures from each country and, and tons of different languages as well. And so this is, I think, a pretty great initiative to sort of expand the names of other objects in space from being just 
the select few, even though it is quite a lot of people that are part of the International Astronomical Union, to now being representative of all the people of Earth, whoever wants to participate, whoever wants to take place in it. So if you're interested in exploring this, look up Name Exo Worlds and see if maybe you can take part in it. Um, I think this would be pretty awesome to, to explore. Uh, one more thing about that is most of the stars that are um, part of exoplanetary systems are too faint to see without a telescope or binoculars. So if you don't have a pair of binoculars or a telescope and you want to take part in naming maybe some of these exo-worlds, do it. Um, there's so many out there. Uh, you could even start with just a simple pair of binoculars. Uh, I, I probably have said this so, so many times on Space Talk about getting a simple pair of binoculars. Um, and I, you know, and I still have not gotten a pair. I have a telescope and I use that all the time. It's a digital telescope, but I've also got to get some some binoculars, but you could just get a simple pair that's, it says 10 X 50, 10 by 50. That's just a 10 times magnification. And you should be able to see a lot of really awesome things that are pretty tough to see without, without your, with um, the unaided eye. Um, one more thing I'll mention is um, if you're not an active researcher in the field of astronomy, there are tons of organizations that, um, allow for you to participate by being a citizen scientist. Uh, one of them is called Unistellar, and I have their digital telescope. It's the Equinox Telescope, and they've partnered with SETI, the SETI Institute, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence Institute, started by Frank Drake. Like, It's really exciting. If you haven't heard about it, you probably heard about it if you've seen the movie Contact or read the book Contact. Uh, Jodie Foster was was part of SETI for – she was SETI. She actually was SETI Uh, and was looking for for life beyond Earth. And they partner now with um, uh, different telescope companies for you to like hunt for your own um, exoplanets, for you to look for your own exoplanets and maybe make discoveries from your own backyard. And there's been quite a lot already. They they have a blog post up on their website if you want to just check them out. And they have already made so many uh, incredible contributions uh, to that specific mission, the SETI Institute, from citizen scientists like, you know, like me, like maybe you guys. So anyone basically who is in their backyard doing the research. I'm not currently conducting research right now. Um, hopefully, we'll be going back to that again soon. But um that's something that I think is a really awesome way to get involved and look up at the night sky. So that is about everything I wanted to chat about as far as how stars are named um, and then how buying or selling stars is not what the IAU is all about. So it's not recognized by the scientific community. So unfortunately, your name would not be in any type of catalog. Uh, sorry about that. Um, unless somehow your name was maybe also a name of a star that was named a very long time ago, then that would be really cool. Maybe you were named after a star. If that's the case, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. So that is about everything. I just want to open it up again to any of uh, the listeners here. If anyone wants to call in and say hello or ask a question, feel free to. Um, Otherwise, let's see. I'm going to play some momentary music just for probably about 15 to 20 seconds to give you all a chance if you want to call in and say hi. Otherwise, that is that. I'll be back soon.
Oh, looks like we've got a caller. All righty. Awesome. Hello, Lauren. How are you? Hey there. I'm doing pretty good. Awesome. Uh, I had a real quick question about the, the, the picture of the day. Yes. Um, it's, it's very red as far as that goes. And I'm wondering, is that a function of uh, the gases uh, that are in that particular constellation? Or is that a function of our atmosphere uh, only letting that particular wavelength through? Such a great question. Um, if anyone who joined us doesn't know what we're talking about, we're on astronomy picture of the day on apod.nasa.gov. And the red is representative of what elements are present in this these areas. So there is the um, a couple different nebulae. Um, I'm trying to remember what exactly red is representative of. I believe it's like a, a prominent like amount of oxygen and hydrogen. Um, and hydrogen is, is very abundant in our universe. So we do see quite a lot of it. Um, right. But that is one of them. It is also the wavelength that is able to, that is passing through our atmosphere that we're seeing. But you do also see hints of blue in the top left. You do see sure Betelgeuse there. That is a red giant star. But the Barnard's Loop is a nebula, an emission nebula. You got Orion's Belt, the Orion Nebula. Those are also um, these gas clouds um, do reflect also a, a lot of different colors. You have a lot of red hues. You have a lot of pink hues. So it is. It is also that. Um, I'm curious to see if maybe it is a little deeper than that because I know that these colors do come up beyond our atmosphere. So space telescopes like Hubble, if Hubble took pictures of Orion or Barnard's Loop or Betelgeuse, they will also be reddish in color. So it could be a combination of both our atmosphere and also um, the gas clouds. But I would say, so if you're looking at the bottom right, like right where this, um, the radio telescope is, it has red lights on it. There, there probably is some that's being reflected and caught in the image in the bottom right, right above the horizon over the hills. That looks like right. it's kind of reflecting on the stars. But the gas, like the distinct shapes of those interstellar clouds, molecular clouds, um, that should be the actual cloud itself because that is what we see minus the atmosphere when we're imaging uh, these things like with Hubble. So, yeah. Very cool. So that's, right. what, that's what I that's what I would say, um, but I'm, I'm double checking to read this to make sure. But it doesn't actually mention anything as far as that goes. Um, yeah, well, we definitely there's definitely different <laughs> different colors coming through, but it was just there's a lot of red. <laughs> a lot of red, yeah, definitely a lot of red. Um, it could also be also a lot of images are processed afterwards. You know, they're edited afterwards as well, and kind of depending on what you're applying, what kind of filter, it can bring out certain colors. So like it can bring out different like different wavelengths of colors. Like you put it under ultraviolet, you can start to see what that's like. You put it under um, infrared, you start to see what that looks like. And it can be the same exact object, like different galaxies. And it's just image, imaged under different um, different types of filters. So that's also possible. They might have used something like that. But I think a lot of it was the editing and also the fact that there is red that is that exists within these nebulae as well. All right. Very yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Have you been able to explore the night sky this week and, and check out any of the, <laughs> the clusters that are visible? It is so cold. No. No, no. <laughs> it is very cold. I know. I know. I, I might bear the cold and, and, and check out the, the sky tonight now that it's finally clear. There you go. All right. <laughs> All right, Lauren. You have a good day. All right. Thank you, too. <laughs> 
Awesome. All right, everyone. Well, if you guys have any other questions or anyone wants to hop on, feel free to do that now. Otherwise, that is about everything I wanted to chat about. Uh, a few things we mentioned today that if you haven't explored yet is astronomy picture of the day. Love this site, apod.nasa.gov. NASA Eyes software um, is also really awesome to just sort of explore different things in the universe that we haven't been able to physically go to uh, as, as, as humans. And then also um, Universe Sandbox, if you ever wanted to download that on your laptop. I have a, a MacBook, so it works on mine. I believe it also does work on PC and Windows. So that it would be a really fun thing to explore as well. But that is about everything. We are um, yeah, just about closing in now on time. And if no one else wants to call in, then that is about everything I want to chat about today. Well, I hope you all have a great rest of your day. Be sure to go out at night and explore the night sky. And as always, add Astra.